Hey, 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 it's a beautiful day here at, no, I'm just kidding. I just feel like anytime I have a microphone that I have to start like that. So, um, and especially since my side poodle boss is actually visiting with us, maybe I'll even get some brownie points for doing that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it is always a joy and a privilege to be able to come and share the word of God, uh, just like all of our uh, fellow staff members that have preached uh, during this interim time right now while we're looking for a pastor. Um, it is a joy and honor, and we have all enjoyed it. I can probably pretty much uh, tell you that I'm not going to be as good as them, but I can guarantee I'm going to be shorter than they are in my sermon length, so that should give me some bonus points as we go on. You're welcome. Go ahead, pull out your phone, make those 12, 15 reservations. We'll be done by then. I guarantee it. Those who know me know that I like to go. I go all the time. If you follow me on social media, you can see kind of my life and how fast we go. Um, I wear a lot of different hats. While I'm the young adult pastor here at Paramount, and I love that very much, I'm also a Disney vacation planner. So if you ever need to go to Disney, unshameless plug right there. Um, Disney vacation planner, freelance graphic designer, sod poodle MC. I do a lot, and I go a lot. And I love it because I don't like to sit at home. If I sit at home for too long, um, then uh, there's something wrong because it, I just, it gets me anxious, and I don't like to sit at home for too long. When I go too much... I always get sick for like three or four days, and I know it's God telling me it's time to slow down. But I go. I go, I go, I go. And just recently here, about two weeks ago, uh, Jamie, myself, my daughter Casey, uh, Sierra, uh, some of my Sod Poodle family, we got to go to Disney. And we love going to Disney, but uh, Natalie had never been. But we went to Disney, and yes, we had a great time. Yes, we walked a lot. Uh, over the course of five days at the parks, we put in 77.9 miles total. Um, yes, it was hot. I think they moved Disney to the sun. Um, we melted a few days. Um, I'm a runner now. Didn't even know it. Um, ran my first 10K. It was awesome. Okay, I didn't really run it, but I did it. So that counts for something. I have a bib and everything, a medal. It was awesome. Um, but we had a lot of fun going to Disney. Um, but despite the heat, despite all the miles we walked and everything else, like, the, the fun was riding the rides, being together. We ate a ton of new foods. Now, if you don't know who, what Epcot is or anything like that, they have different countries all the way around this body of water, and there's different countries. And different countries right now, they have specialty food from that country all the way around, so you can go around, and if you're a TikTok influencer like Sierra is, or my daughter wants to be, they took pictures and video of every food, and then we judged it. We ranked it from 1 to 10, 1 being terrible, 10 being the best. So we went all the way around. We tried different food. I'm just telling you right now, the mashed potatoes uh, and gravy from Belgium, can't miss it. So, so good. Um, that was the surprise of the day, to, to, to say the least. But we tried new foods. We tried new rides. We did all these great things. But we enjoyed just being together. Lots of laughter, lots of fun. But even though it was great going to Disney and being at Disney, I'm one of those weirdos that actually like to prep beforehand before a trip. Watching all the YouTube videos, making an itinerary that we're going to follow to the T, um, packing the clothes, figuring out what I need to buy ahead of time, getting the battery chargers, some new tennis, whatever it was, getting the prep. But I even like the process of going, waking up at 5, no, Four, no, 3.45, whatever time it was to go to the airport for that 6 o'clock fight. I didn't even mind because I was going somewhere that I enjoyed. I loved going and picking everybody up in the dead of morning when Amarillo is still asleep. Getting to the airport and walking into the airport first thing in the morning and it has that, 
That's that airport smell, you know what I'm talking about. Somewhere between feet and cologne, I don't know. But it's really great. You walk in and you feel the energy because everybody's getting ready to go somewhere and everybody's a little bit excited. You go and you get in line, especially at 5 o'clock in the morning for some really, really bad coffee. It's amazing. And then you go and you're just so excited. You want to say, I'm going to Disney. But if you do, everybody's going to throw their bad coffee at you. So you just kind of just like, oh, I'm so excited. And you just kind of whisper and everything until you get on the plane. And then there's, then there's a plane ride, right? Start taxiing down the runway. And then it starts going faster and faster. You start sinking into your seat a little bit. And then, then you're lift off. And that feeling of flight. I love to go places. Going somewhere is fun. Going to grandma's house. Going out to eat. Going to high school football game. Going to Disney, obviously. Um, going to the mountains. Going to the beach. Going to the movies. Going to sod poodle baseball games. <clears throat> Anything like that. Okay, All fun, all stuff we like to do. But why do we go to all these places? Why do we like to go to eat? Why do we like to go? Because it's something we want. Because it's something we like. It helps us relax. It separates us from everyday life. The problem is, there are also places that we don't like to go that we have to go. Doctor appointments, hospitals, funerals, the DMV. Um, my wife hates to go to the grocery store. Add that to the list. School. Most of us hate to go to work, except for me. I love to go to work, right, Will? Will, we love going to work. All right, uh, we love to go to work, but we all have places we have to go, whether we want to or not, whether we like it or not. But the reason why we go is to accomplish a purpose. If we go out to eat, it's so we don't have to cook. If we go to a movie, it's because it's something we're interested in, to give us a separation from everyday life. Vacations, beaches, mountains, we go for a purpose, a time of rest, a time of relaxation, all these things. We go to accomplish a purpose. So this morning, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, your phone, your app, your iPad, whatever it is you have, take it out, go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's where we're going to be this morning. And we're talking about three men who decided to go, to go and accomplish a purpose. And we're going to be talking through these through three different guys and three different points. Walking for God, walking with God, and walking because of God. Walking with God, walking for God, walking because of God. Now as you're turning to 2 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to be in verse 8, but a little context of what's going on in 2 Samuel chapter 23. We start off with 1 Samuel because 2 Samuel is the second book of 1 Samuel. And what we have is an introduction to Samuel the prophet. And Samuel the prophet goes and anoints King Saul uh, to be the king of Israel because Israel wanted a physical king. So we, we see the rise and the fall of King Saul. And as we see the fall of King Saul, we see the rise of the next king. And that's going to be David. And we see the story of David and Goliath as he, as he defies the Philistine. And he goes out and he kills Goliath. And he starts getting a lot of, of notoriety and reputation and as Saul's walk with the Lord starts to wane and his kingdom starts to crumble, we see the rise of David. And in 2 Samuel five verses, uh, chapter 5 through 24, we see the highlights of King David's reign. This includes the covenant promise to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We also see the downside of David. And we see the downfall with Bathsheba. We see the consequences of that with his son. But then we see David's repentance, which confirms his designation as a man after God's own heart. This also shows us that even a king is not above breaking God's law. 
We see battle after battle with the Philistines. That's the people that Goliath was from. Just because David beat Goliath and they beat the Philistines at that one time didn't mean that was over. The Philistines keep coming back and keep coming back against Israel. And while today's passage is not in chronological order, it does give us an account of some of the warriors that David fought alongside. So you think about the military. We have the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marines, the Coast Guard. We have all of our military. But then we have special unit forces You know, we have like the Army Rangers and the Navy SEALs, those special guys that can do a little bit more special things. And this is what David has, and we're going to talk about three of the main ones this morning. We're going to pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 8, going through verse 12. These are the names of David's warriors. Joseph Beshebeth, the Tecmanite, was chief among the officers. He wielded his spear against 800 men that he killed at one time. Awesome. After him, Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of an Aoite, was among the three warriors with David when they defied the Philistines. The men of Israel retreated in the place they had gathered for battle, but Eleazar stood his ground and attacked the Philistines until his hand was tired and stuck to his sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the troops came back to him, but only to plunder the dead. After him was Shammah, son of Aji, the Herorite. The Philistines had assembled in formation where there was a field full of lentils. The troops fled from the Philistines, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, I love this passage. It gives me lots. My creative brain that I have, that I, that I get to live with, just goes a million different directions as I read this passage and the exploits of these three mighty men of David's uh, warriors, his, his, his army that he had. What I love most is I've read this passage, I've even preached this passage before, but even though the theology and doctrine is still the same, the application changes for us. That's the beauty of the word of the Lord. You can read one passage today and it means something depending on where you are in your spiritual walk with God, and even though the doctrine and theology stays the same, the application to you can be different and wherever you are with your walk with the Lord. And today what I want to talk about, in the past I've talked about the attitude of these three warriors, but today I want to talk about their walk with God and that they decided to go. Now, we have Joseph Beshebeth. In some of your translation, it also says, also named Adino. So we're going to call him Adino because I don't want to say Joseph Beshebeth every single time I reference this guy. So we're just going to go with Adino. But Adino walked with God. Point number one, walk with God. Why do I know that he walked with God? Because I don't know very many people who has the power to go out with the spear, sticky, sticky, pokey, pokey, and wipe out 800 people. He did this at one time with the spear. Now, J.R. Tolkien, fantastic writer, wrote The Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've seen the movies. And in the movies, you'll see two characters coming up, a dwarf named Gimli, an elf named Legolas. I got all the young people's attention now. An elf named Legolas And they're going through, and as they go through the movies, they are counting how many people they wipe out and how many orcs of the enemy that they kill. Gimli's like, 27, 28, 29, and he's yelling over to Legolas. And Legolas is on the other side, and he's got his bow and arrow, and he's like, 87, 88, 89. And then Gimli gets mad, and he keeps swinging even harder and faster. He's like, 35, 36, 37. I don't know exactly what's happened in this this battle with Adino, but he's one man, he's got one, one spear, and he wipes out 800 people. We cannot overcome the enemy when we are always going to be outnumbered unless we are walking with God. 
Just like Adina was outnumbered 800 to 1, in our spiritual walk, in everyday life, we are going to be outnumbered. Now the question is, Adino, as he goes in, I don't think he went in wondering what he was going to do when he got this spear and he goes into the enemy army. He had that outlook of offensive. He is going to go out. He's going to represent the people of Israel. He's going to represent the anointed King David. And he's going to go out and he's going to be on the offensive. And he wipes out 800 people. Don't let the numbers hinder your witness. If we are walking with God daily, we will see the opportunities to be on the offensive, to be a witness for Christ. Whether that's as a parent, a mom, a dad, as a teacher, as a lawyer, as a coach of your team's kids, as a student, at work, wherever it is you are going, however you are there with others, when you're around people, be kind, love well, show Christ as you walk with God. We are to be a witness everywhere we go. And in everything we do. Adino walks with God. And he gets the power to wipe out 800 people. That's awesome. But then we go to the second guy. In verse 9, we pick up with Eleazar. And he defies the Philistines. And it's really funny that earlier in 1 Samuel, when we talk about Goliath, Goliath is yelling and he's, he's talking bad about God to the Israel army. And David, what does David do? He goes out there and he defies Goliath. He defends his faith. He defends his God. He defends his people. And now we see Eleazar defies the Philistines, the same exact people, the enemy to the chosen people of God. He defies them, and he's defending his God and his faith. He's also defending himself alone. We will fight many battles in our spiritual walk alone. The crazy thing is he fought so hard that his hand was stuck to his sword when he was done fighting. Now, it doesn't tell us, it doesn't give us a Gimli Legolas, you know, Adino killed 800 and Eleazar come and he killed 400. It doesn't tell us that, but it does tell us that he fought so long and he fought so hard that when he was done, his hand stuck to his sword. Now, way back when I was in college, I bought a brand new Mitsubishi Eclipse. It's an old car because I'm an old person, and they don't even make sports cars anymore. But it was pristine, jet black, beautiful. I had it a week and a half. And I was going through downtown Amarillo, and I was hitting those lights. You know, if you go 31.3 miles an hour, you can hit every light green, and you can do it and go all the way through town without having to stop. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, I'm doing that. And I'm looking at my speedometer, and I'm just cruising because I'm in a really cool car. And back then, I had hair, and I looked really, really good. And I was going through, and this van pulls up next to me and honks. And I look, and it was our children's director at our church. And she's, you know, like, hey. And I'm like, hey. And about the time I turn around, there's a truck right in front of me going across, and I T-bone the truck. It was his fault. He ran a red light. Not my fault, but my car was totaled, and I don't remember what happened. Because all I remember is turning and seeing the truck and doing this, right? Because that's what you do when you're fixing to be in a wreck and you know it. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember being put in the ambulance. I just remember waking up in the ambulance. And the, the paramedic asked me, you know, my name, where I'm from, all those things. And I'm just laying there like this. And I'm talking to him, I'm answering him, trying to, you know, coming out of that fog of what happened. This is before airbags and all that good stuff like that. 
my shoulder sore from the seatbelt, all those things. And I finally looked down, and I'm like, hey, I can't move my hands. And he's like, yeah, you will here in 20, 30 minutes. It's no big deal. Everything will be fine. You just had trauma. Your hands are kind of paralyzed, but they'll loosen up as time goes on. And sure enough, as time went on, my hands loosened up. I don't know what the medical term is because I don't care. So I didn't even look it up. All I know is my hands were paralyzed for a little bit, and then they finally released. But it's caused because of trauma and adrenaline that happened that made me freeze like this. And I think of that when I think of Eleazar, that he fought the enemy so hard that his hand stuck to his sword. I just imagine at the, end of the, at the end of the battle, he's sitting there like this, and his big old sword, I just think of one of those, you know, really cool big swords that's in Lord of the Rings, and he's got it, and he's just standing there like this, and the guys are coming up like, hey, dude, Eleazar, you just wiped out a whole bunch? He's like, yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And he's just sitting there with his hand just stuck to his sword, and he's just resting it on the ground. They're like, hey, you can let go of that sword now. There's nobody left. You wiped them all out. He's like, yeah, I can't. Give me 20 or 30 minutes, and then my hand will relax, and I'll be able to let go. I don't know what happened. I don't know what, 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 what he did, how that went. But it does tell us that there's going to be times when we're going to have to fight alone. And there's this crazy word that is thrown around our Christian walk called integrity. Doing what is right even when you are alone. How are you fighting the enemies when you are alone? Now we see this as fighting a physical enemy. And Eleazar is fighting this battle. And he's wiping them out. And he's doing all this stuff. And he fights so hard that his hand... And he defied the Philistines, so he's defending Israel. But he's also, while he's defending the people, he's also defending himself because he is fighting alone. If he doesn't wipe everybody out, that means he dies. So he's defending himself. So the question is, how are you defending yourself in times of trials or tribulations? In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12, it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is alive and active. But you cannot expect to win a battle against your enemy if you go in unarmed. This is our sword. The Bible tells us it's our sword. When the enemy attacks with fear, anxiety, anger, bitterness, temptation. You can only be victorious if you are clinging to the word to the point where your hand is stuck to it. You ever think about that? Cling to the word of God. Read the word of God. Defy the enemy to the point to where you cannot let go of the word. That's the only way we're going to be victorious against our enemies. Eleazar was walking, while Adina was walking with God, Eleazar was walking for God. He defied the Philistines. So if you are truly walking for God, you'll be doing it in the good times and the bad times. Then we go to our, our third one, my favorite. Shama was walking because of God. So we see Shama and he goes to a field of lentils and he stations himself between the enemy and his people Israel. And the reason why it tells us that it's a field of lentils is it's given us a picture of what's happening because lentils are what they make their food out of. So if you're an army and you're fighting a battle, what do you need? Food to feed the, feed the masses, right? So the Philistines would come down and they'd wipe out the Israelites around the field of lentils so they could take control of the food supply. So the Israel army is in this field of lentils. 
They have plenty of food and everything, and the Philistine army comes against them. We don't know how many. We don't know anything like that. But we know that it was enough to where the Israel got scared, and they ran. But Shammah did not. He went in the middle of the field of lentils, where the food was for future growth, and defended it now. He interceded on behalf of his people. I don't know why the other ones left. I don't know why Israel left. I don't know why the army left. Maybe it's because they were afraid. Maybe it's because half of them really weren't warriors at all. Maybe they were sick. Maybe they were tired of the constant battles. But Shammah stood between the enemy and his people to intercede on their behalf. Just like Moses did on Mount Sinai for his people, right? He's up talking with God. He's up there for a while. Israelites are like, man, Moses has been gone a long time. When's he coming back? I don't know. Well, Maybe there is no God. I know, we just saw all the judgments from the ten, and the ten, you know, all these things that just happened when we were leaving, leaving Israel and the Exodus, but maybe there's no God. Let's build a God of our own. And God's talking to Moses, and he says, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses intercedes on behalf of his people and says, wait, 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 please don't. Give them another chance. He intercedes on behalf of his people. This is what's happening right here. And we have Adino being an example of a witness as he walks with God. We have Eleazar who is telling us the need for the word as he walks for God. But Shama is an example of how we should treat and see others. How often are we interceding on behalf of others that are around us? I can guarantee you that when Shama, when Shama stood in the field of lentils and the Philistine army is coming and he's fixing to take them all on by his own again, that everybody behind him didn't go to his church. Everybody behind him didn't believe the same way he did. Some of them probably didn't even do sacrifices, okay? Probably weren't even good Christian people. But it didn't matter. He was being an example, he was being a leader, and he was doing it because of God, and he interceded on their behalf. How are we treating other people? How are we seeing other people? You cannot treat people like garbage and worship God at the same time. Do we do it? I think about interceding and people standing up for people. And this really crazy story always comes to me anytime I talk about interceding. My dad's over here. He's awesome. When I was six years old, I remember this, this whole event like it's a movie in my brain. But we had a playground from our house, maybe a block away, half a block away, and I'm six or seven, and I start going over to the playground to play because I was allowed to. And this group of teenagers, evil people, um, come out and start pushing me down, pushing me down, calling me names, all the things, and the safety was the playground. So I'm running and I'm trying to get to the playground, but they're pushing me down, they're kicking me, they're tripping me, all these things. And on this slide was a big round disc at the top. So it had stairs, you go up, it had a big platform, two fireman poles, and then a slide. I was like, I just need to get up to the platform. They can't get me up there. So I run up to the platform, and they stay all down there on the ground. They're yelling. They're throwing stuff at me. I think I'm ducking and bobbing and weaving and all the things. And I look down, and on that platform was a knife. And you say, how can you remember this? You were six years old. Guys, I remember the address. It was 960E Perry Drive, Port Wenemi, California. My dad was in the Navy, so he was in California. I remember it. So I remember where we live. I remember the address and everything. And I picked up that knife. Now, don't freak out. It was a steak knife. It wasn't that big of a deal. But I, was, I started doing this. 
I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to get you guys. And they, of course, are laughing because it's a six-year-old with a steak knife. One starts coming up the ladder, and I run over there, and my first instinct was to throw it at the kid. So I did. And the knife went, I, I promise, like this, and stuck in the ground right behind him. You guys thought I was going to say right here. No, I didn't. It stuck in the ground behind him, and they all thought that was hilarious. And the only thing I knew to do was to get home, get to mom, get to dad. So like lightning, I jump down the fireman thing, and I start sprinting so fast. I say that because that's what was happening in my mind, but let's just be honest. I was a six-year-old kid. I wasn't that fast. They caught me, okay? They push me down. They trip me, and I get closer to the house, and I'm yelling, that's my house. And as we get closer and closer, they, they go to their house. And I get in, mom comes to console me, see what's going on, because about that time, my dad walks in the front door from work. And I'm crying, upset, and he's like, what's going on? And I tell him, now it's time for some intercession, okay? Where do they live? I can show you. So we go over, and dad pounds on the door, and these teenagers open the door, and here I am standing, and they see me, and they start to laugh until they look up, and they see my dad, and he's in his military uniform and everything, and then their eyes get this big, and they're like, uh, 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 uh. Let's just say some intercession words came out of my dad's mouth and warned them to never touch his son again. That's what parents do. We intercede for our kids a lot, right? We do that. We intercede for our friends. We intercede for our other family members. We intercede for our best friends. We maybe intercede for most of our church. I mean, but not that guy over there because he always sits in the back. No, no offense to people sitting in the back. I like you guys. Okay. But do we intercede for those who are not here, who maybe not be following Christ? Are we showing the model of a leader, of someone who's walking because of God? We walk because of God, because of all that God has done for us. We walk because of God's greatest gift, Jesus, and what he did for us. That's why we walk. That's why we intercede. We have the greatest intercessor ever, the greatest role model of how to intercede in Jesus Christ. That's why interceding is so important. Sometimes interceding is bringing food. Sometimes intercede is praying. The battlefield is in prayer. We have a search committee that is meeting. We're looking for a pastor. We have a search team, we have a church council, we have staff. If you need someone to intercede for, let me know. I'll give you a list, all right? But we always have someone that we can intercede for. We have three mighty warriors, all with different skills, all with different talents, all different races, all different backgrounds, and all came with different situations in mind. We know this because in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it tells us how these men came to David. In addition, every man who was desperate, in debt, or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men came. So this is the general mass of the army. And then we had David's mighty warriors, which consisted of between 30 and 40 men. And then we had David's mighty men, the three, okay? But this is how they came. They came with debt. They came discontent. They came desperate. They all had their own problems to overcome they all came, though, with one purpose, and that was to serve alongside God's anointed king in David. Because David couldn't do it alone. You know, we do the same thing, but God doesn't need our help. But the thing is, we do. 
We can't do it alone. That's why we have a church family, family of Christ. Just like the mighty man, we all have our own talents, our own skills, our own problems, our own things to overcome. The question today is, are you willing to go like these mighty men? We get up to go to church. Thank you for doing that, by the way. We appreciate it. But we only go to church. We only go to church. We only go one time, maybe two times a week to do what God wants us to do. But we don't have the mindset of going into our office, into our school, into our workplace, on our vacations, whatever it is with the mindset of being a witness like Adino. Being a defense, being in the word of God as we walk with God. We're walking because of God. Everyone here is discontent, has debt, disappointed in life, or whatever it is. The good news is that God does not require you to be perfect or have all of your problems solved to follow him. We are no different as a church. We come, as the mighty men came to serve the one anointed king in David, we come and we are supposed to go to serve alongside the one anointed king in Jesus Christ. The Great Commission says go. Go teach the nations. Go share the good news. Be a witness in all you do. If you're already a follower of Christ, we have plenty of opportunities here at the church to go. We had a, a team just returned from Tucson from a mission trip. We have mission trips to Panama and London coming up. But that's not the only time as a church that we are supposed to go is when the church offers a mission trip. The mission is outside of these doors. As a parent, as a teacher, we go against the enemy by being in the Word daily and looking to see who needs help along the way and interceding. Are you growing in your faith by going? By walking with God? Walking for God? Walking because of God? Maybe you're in here this morning and you have no idea what it means to be part of the body of Christ. You have no idea what salvation means or what Jesus did as the great intercessor or the one anointed king. He's the only one to salvation. He's the reason why most of us in here go. While we come to church, while we share our talents, while we share our skills, while we do all these things together, do we fight the enemy? So even when though we're alone, we're really not because we know we have each other. We'd love to talk to you about that. Some members of our church staff, our pastors are going to be right outside these doors in the hall. If you don't know what it means to be part of the body of Christ or you want to join this body of Christ, we'd love to meet you right outside the hall. Right now we're going to pray and then we're going to sing a hymn of invitation and we're going to go home and you're going to have your chance to go. Dear God, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's always true, always faithful, that teaches us new things. But Lord, that how it all points to you. And God, we are grateful for that. We're grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was dead, buried, and rose again. We thank you that David had mighty men, but I'm thankful that our church has mighty men and women of God who's ready to do battle, whether it's alone or alongside each other. Be with us as we go through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.